It's encouraging to look out this morning and see the number of our folks here. Uh, and when I was walking down from my office up at the chapel and a number in the sanctuary, uh, this is what we hoped would happen, that by moving in here, uh, we would have much more room to spread out. I heard last week one of the bathrooms up there got pretty crowded at one point. So uh, bathrooms down here are bigger, the hallways are bigger, the lobby's bigger, more room to spread out. So hopefully our folks who are still online watching, and we understand that some are doing that, and we understand why. Uh, but we want to make it possible for them to feel more comfortable about coming back and worshiping in person as soon as possible. But it is uh, very nice, very good to see all of you here this morning. It's starting to feel a little bit more like church again. Amen? We need this. We need to meet in person and pray and sing together. Uh, speaking of praying together, let me ask you to be praying for Jim and Beverly Reagan. Uh, Jim's dad passed away. And so this weekend, they're up in Virginia, actually right at the Virginia and North Carolina line. And uh, they're up there with family and having the uh, funeral arrangements take place. So pray for Jim. Also pray for Dr. Willis. I know he and Dot have been faithfully watching online. And I would assume right now he's probably doing that from his hospital room. He had a very extensive surgery this past Friday. Uh, to reverse some of what they did in a surgery a couple of months back. Uh, and so they had to sort of go in and reconnect things all over again, and they're saying that he'll probably be in the hospital Friday. They were saying three to five nights that he would spend there at Northeast. So pray for Dr. Willis. Uh, would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? I'm going to talk to you this morning about the subject matter, joy in suffering. Joy in suffering. And uh, let's read together. We've been in the book of Philippians. And guys upstairs, I'm going to ask you, not, not much, but just take out a little bit of the monitor. I'm sort of getting some ringing and feedback up here. Uh, hearing myself once is probably enough. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, if you will find verse 18, and we will read down through verse 26. Paul says there, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ 
which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Let's pray together. Father, you tell us in Isaiah 55 that as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Lord, achieve your purpose in this text today in the hearts of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been disappointed by anything in life? Sure you have. Boy, it's been a year of disappointments, hasn't it? You know, I, I, it, it may not be a big deal to adults, but think with me for a moment. If you were still in high school, you were a junior or senior, and your, your prom this year got canceled. How disappointing. Or your graduation got canceled. Again, how disappointing. That would be some more trivial disappointments. You know, some of you guys may be disappointed by a reduced schedule in college football this fall. Or the reduction in high school football. Some disappointments are much more profound. The disappointment of going to the doctor after an extended period of treatments and the doctor says to you we're sorry the treatments are no longer doing any good there's nothing further we can do disappointments disappointments can lead to discouragement it can happen but we never know what God may be up to in the midst of it all. And so you and I must not allow disappointments to rob us of our joy in Christ. We could probably either tell or hear stories all day long today of people standing from their seat right now, taking a microphone, and giving testimony, I remember when such and such happened in my life and how disappointed I was. But now 10 years later, 25 years later, I look back on that event and now I know that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. We never know what God may be up to at the time. Folks, if anybody had reason to be disappointed in life, it would have been the Apostle Paul. As Paul writes the book of Philippians, I want you to remember, he, he's under house arrest, and the only thing he's guilty of doing is preaching Jesus. 
Imagine being thrown in jail for doing nothing more than preaching the word of God. He's not a criminal. He just wants to see people enjoy eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And for that, he is bound in chains. Now, we see in the previous verses that, that we looked at last week, it, that really didn't matter to Paul that he was in chains. In fact, he had joy in that. He had contentment in that because he saw it as furthering the gospel. As we talked about last week, he was, he was chained to the imperial guard, the Roman guard, the, the palace guard, some of the most powerful men in the Roman Empire. He had them right where he wanted them. They were a captive audience. They thought he was the captive. They were the captive audience. And he preached the gospel to them, and they heard him pray. They heard him uh, write these letters as he dictated them. No doubt he shared his faith with them. He could not have paid for an audience this big. On top of all of that, he was being an encouragement to the church because his folks saw what he was going through and yet he had such joy and contentment. It gave them great courage to be more bold and faithful. And so Paul saw some pretty awesome things happening. And for that, he had joy and contentment. We continue to see today where that joy and contentment comes from. We've seen already in chapter 1 that it comes, first of all, from being a child of God through faith in Christ. It also comes from knowing that God is still at work in you and he's not going to finish that work until you see Christ one day. And it also, call, it, it also comes from the partnership we have together in the gospel. These are the sources of Paul's contentment and joy. And we're going to add one more to that list today. We're, we're going we're to see his joy and contentment came ultimately from knowing that in Christ he was a victor. The victory would be his. However he got free, however he was delivered, he knew the victory would be his in Christ. Because God had a plan and a purpose in all of this. Well, the first thing I want you to notice with me this morning is the assurance of victory brings joy to the Christian. He says again there in verse 18 and 19, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, as you read the text, it becomes clear that there's a bit of a question mark about deliverance. Was he speaking about the ultimate deliverance we have in Christ or the immediate deliverance of getting out of prison? There's a little bit of an ambiguity here that only adds to the power of the text. You see, to Paul, he was a child of God and so he knew that one way or the other he was going to be delivered. You see what he's saying, folks? Hardship in a Christian's life does not have the final say. Amen? 
trials and tribulation and times of testing and disappointment do not have the final say in a believer's life. You and I, in Christ, have a joy and a contentment and a peace that transcends anything this world can offer. And the world also cannot rob us of that kind of joy and contentment. If you're a child of God through faith in Christ, you're going to be delivered one day, one way or the other. You may be going through hardship and you ask, am I going to make it through this? Yes, you are, one way or the other. It may not be the way you plan. It may not even be the way you desire. God may have a bigger plan. But either way, if you're His, you're going to make it one way or the other. You will either survive it on this earth and be delivered or you will get the ultimate deliverance. But you will make it. That is the promise. That's the great lesson for children of God. Difficulties and trials do not have the final say. Our hope is not built on the sifting sands of this world. Remember the hymn? My hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen? The child of God's hope is, is not in the fact that life will always go our way or people will always speak well of us. Our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. Does that describe you this morning? If you're looking for the world and the things of the world and even other people to bring you this kind of joy and contentment and peace, I can tell you it will never happen. It'll never happen. Something is always going to interrupt your life. Something is always going to come crashing in. So if your circumstances are what make you depend on joy and contentment, you're in for a pretty shaky ride. You and I need to see that we have a hope, we have a foundation that is bigger and more secure than anything this world can ever bring us. If you have that in Christ, you can have joy amidst all the ups and downs of life. And it kind of it gives you a new perspective on life, doesn't it? It really does. Because you see the providence of God. And you truly believe, Romans 8, 28, that in all things God is working together for the good of those who love Him, who are the called according to His purpose. You understand that. And so you don't live in despair, you live in hope. Second thing I want you to see this morning, the reality of present help brings joy and contentment to the Christian. Look at verse 19 again, what he says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Where, when, when Paul thought of how he was going to be delivered, whether it would be immediately from prison or from this earth, he'd go on to glory. 
in his mind, he knew that there were two things that were going to see him through. He knew that he had resources. And it's the same resources you and I have. Paul mentions two things here. The prayers of the saints and the, and the strength and provision of the Holy Spirit. Both of those gave Paul joy and contentment. Let's take them one at a time. The prayers of the saints serve as a present help to you and me as we're going through hardships. The prayers of the saints. Folks, never underestimate the prayers of the saints. When we are in the midst of a valley and we know that we have people praying for us, that, that brings such a contentment in and of itself. Because we believe God works the prayers of his people. We know he does. I mean, just think of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He said there, For we do not want you to be ignorant brothers of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Now, I'm, I'm going to read a few verses, and what I want you to pay attention to is how he ends this passage. He says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer. You hear Paul's thoughts there? Paul says essentially God's delivered us. He will deliver us again. We've set our hope on Him. But you have a part to play in this too. You need to be praying for those in suffering and in trial. Because God's going to work His purposes in them. But through the prayers of the saints, God will help them. You might be that one going through something. And you know as a Christian, all things work together for good. But that doesn't mean you don't also depend on prayer. You get God's people praying for you, and there's great joy and contentment in that because you know God hears the prayers of His people. You know, when I think of the prayers of God's people, I think of the book of Acts. Here was Peter and John. They've been in prison. They're threatened not to preach Jesus anymore. They're set free. They immediately go back and tell the church what has happened. The whole church meets together in prayer. And what happens? God grants them more boldness. He opens more doors. He overcomes even more of the threats of the authorities. God worked through the prayers of His people. Folks, are you going through any kind of hardship in life? Pray. Get people praying for you. Pray for one another. Pray for one another. Paul realized there's strength and comfort in that. By the way, when we talk about praying for one another, you remember what I told you a couple of weeks ago? If you struggle knowing how to pray for people, Find some of the prayers in the Bible. 
in Paul's letters, usually in the first chapter of a letter. Not always, but usually in the first chapter near the beginning. There's always an extended prayer that Paul says he's praying for that group of people. Copy down those prayers. Break them down then line by line so you can understand each individual petition that he's making. And then start praying those type of prayers for the people that you're praying for. That's powerful because that's, that's praying scripture. That's praying biblically. You can know you're praying the will of God for somebody. The prayers are the same. Paul, Paul thinks about his whole situation and he writes to them. He says, I know that through your prayers I'm going to make it through this. But he mentions something else. God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We know the Holy Spirit helps us. When Paul refers here to the help of the Holy Spirit, the word, the word translated uh, that refers to, to just the abundance means the, the abounding power and provision of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit provides resources that we don't even know about. In John 14 through 16, Jesus spoke of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that he'll be your teacher, your comforter, your counselor, the one who convicts you of sin. Jesus said on another occasion, when you stand before men, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit's going to supply you with what you need to, to, to say. In Romans 8, 26, Paul says, when you're weak and you have no idea what to pray for, just know that the Holy Spirit is taking that heaviness in your heart and he's presenting that before God in the perfect way. Jesus said, he'll be the source of our power to live the Christian life. He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit within us. The abounding resources of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, what I'm going through, I know that through your prayers and the power of the Holy Spirit that's just unlimited, God's going to get me through this. And that brought joy and contentment to him. A third thing. The prospect of glorifying Christ brings joy and contentment to the Christian. He says in verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul had the blessed assurance of knowing that before Caesar he would not be ashamed or he would not be put to shame in any way. When the day came for his defense, he was confident that he would have the words to say. And along with that confidence came the assurance that Christ would be exalted and honored in his body, whether by life or by death. Regardless of the outcome of the trial, he was looking at the testimony that his life would lead. What a tremendous way. For Christians to look at life and to view life. Whatever you're going through, what, what is the testimony 
that your life will bring. You see, Paul's testimony was not to be impressive to men. If you work and strive to be impressive to men, the worst thing you can have happen to you is an occasional failure. If your plan or purpose in life is to be popular, the worst thing you can have happen is to have enemies who oppose you. His purpose was not always to have his needs met or to be comfortable. If your purpose in life is always to be comfortable, then anything that comes into your life that interrupts that comfort is anathema to you. Paul's purpose wasn't even necessarily to live a long life on earth. Be great if it happened, but if that wasn't God's plan, that'd be okay too. What was his purpose that he states here in verse 20? So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. That's what gave his life meaning. You see, folks, so many times you and I can have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, and, and we don't have joy because we've, we've got a divided heart. And that just brings confusion. Personally, I think one of the most miserable persons on the face of the earth is the person who wants to do both, to be a man of the world and a man of God at the same time. There's, there's ineffectiveness in that. There's no power. He's always torn. There's no peace and joy and contentment in that. When we think of life, when we think of all the different ingredients that go into life, what, is, what if sometimes some professing believers think of Christ? He's just the icing on the top. He's, he's a little bit of an add-on. It's nice if he's there. It's not critical to the heart of the recipe itself if he's not he's just kind of a a bonus a tag on and that's how so many professing believers think of following Jesus and Paul says that's not Christian living at all Jesus is the main ingredient. He's not just an add-on. He's the foundation of it all. Paul says, I can't imagine my life apart from him. I don't even have life apart from him. He wanted his life to magnify Christ. The words here, honored or magnified, as some translations uh, put it, means making something great. It means making something conspicuous. It's the image of putting something under a microscope and it looks so much bigger. Or better yet, it's the image of, of say, for example, the stars or the planets way out there and you can't see them by the naked eye and you get a powerful telescope and that telescope brings those heavenly bodies into close focus. That's the idea here. You know, for some people, Christ seems very far away. For others, he seems very small. Paul said, I, I, I want my life to be like a telescope that would bring him more into focus. 
or I want my life to be like a microscope that would make Christ seem so much more magnified. Paul wanted his life to be like a lens that people could see Christ better. The lens doesn't matter. What matters is what the lens brings into focus. You watch some football game and, and, and some receiver makes an awesome catch. You Quite frankly, you don't even know how, how somebody would make a catch like that. And all the sports photographers catch it. And, and, and you know, the next day in the highlights or later on in a sports magazine, you want to see that catch, the way he did that. And, and you open up in Sports Illustrated or whatever, or the newspaper or on the Internet, not many people probably today with newspapers, Internet, whatever. You, you, you want to see that catch, and you don't open to that page or click on that link. And when you click on that link, all of a sudden what you see sitting there is that cannon camera lens this was the camera lens that caught that pass I mean that caught that pass being made and that reception what are you wanting to see you're wanting to see the guy diving for the catch and it right on the tip of his fingers and somehow or another he brought it in you don't care about the lens they used you want to see what it captured and Paul says, that's what I want my life to be. You don't need to focus on me. Is my life helping people to see Jesus Christ better? That's what matters to me. I want my life, whether it's by life or by death, whichever the way is going to accomplish this the best, I don't care. I want my life to magnify Christ. I want people to see Jesus. What an awesome way to live. What an awesome way to look at Christ, to look at life. Everything that happens in your life, every experience you have, every trial, everything you go through in life, how can, how can people see Jesus better through me in this situation? That's what mattered. Instead of woe is me, I want people to see how Christ can, and the cause of Christ can be furthered through this. That's what matters. I like what James Montgomery Boyce writes about this too. He says, if we're going to magnify Christ in this way, he says, we're, we're going to have to be a pure people and a holy people. It's such an impure world. We're going to have to stand out by being pure. He goes on to say, what are we going to allow to capture our eyes, the eye? as Jesus said, is the lamp of the body. He goes on to discuss we live in such a pornographic world through your eye gate. All types of snares and quicksand can be encountered. He says our eye gate must magnify Christ. He goes on to say we're to magnify him with our tongue. There's great power in the tongue for good or evil. Are we going to use our tongue to curse, slander, lie, or express hatred, or spread iniquity? Even among brethren, or are we going to magnify Christ by what we say? He goes on to say we must also magnify Christ in our bodies. Our, our body is to be presented to Christ as a living sacrifice. So everything about me, is it a living sacrifice to the Lord? 
with my body, my actions, my activities, everything about me. It's like Paul is saying, I want it to point people to Jesus. That's what Paul wanted. And believe it or not, I mean, he says, whether it takes either life or death to accomplish this doesn't really matter to me. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? Even if it took Paul dying to magnify Christ, he was okay with that. Think of the crucifixion of Jesus. One of, just speaking now for a moment, one of the soldiers there. What was it that so impacted him in that moment? The life or the death of Christ? Probably wasn't the life of Christ. He probably knew very little of the life of Christ. But he saw the way Christ died. And what did he say? Surely this man must be what? The Son of God. It was the way Jesus died that convinced this Roman soldier. Paul says, if it's my life, well and good. But if it's my death that convinces somebody, that's okay too. Total peace and joy and contentment when you live this way. Because again, your, your life's not governed by the things of the world. You see past that to a bigger purpose and a bigger foundation to life. Fourth thing quickly I want you to see. The proper conviction brings joy and contentment to the Christian. Verse 21, what's he say? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You've no doubt been acquainted with people who have, who have different convictions on life. Go for the gusto. You only go around once. Get all you can while you can. For he who dies with the most toys wins. All of those are very short-sighted and narrow convictions to life. And people who live by those narrow convictions tend to get very bitter in life. Because if life doesn't deal them what they want, they, they get angry and bitter. But Paul had a different conviction. And that conviction was to live. For me to live as what? Christ. He wasn't living for a promotion. He wasn't living for the day he could move into a bigger house. He wasn't living for the day he would finally earn some degree. Life didn't begin with Paul when, when he was a Roman citizen. Life did not begin when Paul was trained to be one of the leading rabbis and Pharisees of the day. For Paul, life began on the road to Damascus when Christ captured him. That's when life began. Later on in Philippians 2.21, Paul will say, they all seek after the, their own interest and not those of Christ. But for Paul, his life was different. Christ was his life. Christ is why he was doing everything he was doing. Even suffering in prison. Paul knew he had two options in life. It all boils down to just two, ultimately, doesn't it? Either we live or we die. Boy, that gets it about as basic and simple as you can get, right? 
Either, either we live or die. Those two options. If he lives, what's he going to say in verse 22? Hey, that'll just be more time to live for Jesus and to serve him and to be a blessing to the church and to help you. Paul says, if I live, I'm not going to live for myself, my own pleasures and desires in life. If I live, I'm going to live for Christ. What's Christ want out of me? That's what I'm going to live for. That's going to drive me every day. To die is option number two. To die is gain, he says. Because in dying, we go to be with Jesus. If the authorities kill me, they won't be defeating me. They'll only be ushering me into the presence of Christ faster. I think of a Puritan preacher, Richard Baxter, lived from 1615 to 1691, and he took many unpopular stands in the ministry and was persecuted greatly and went through terrible physical tribulations on his deathbed. A, a fellow minister asked him, Richard, how are you? He, he was about to die. You know what he said? I'm almost well. I'm almost well now. To die is gain. Folks, we don't experience less of life when we go into the very presence of the one who is life. Think of that. So Paul says here, I'm hard-pressed between these two options. I'm hard-pressed. Or, or as the NIV says, I'm torn. I'm torn between these two options. Would we be? You know, a lot of times we're like the old guy that said, Hey, I'm ready to hit that heaven-bound train, but if you're trying to fill up the the." the passenger cars to go today, I think I'll wait for a later train. Paul says, I'm, 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 I'm hard-pressed because I can see definite advantages either way. I mean, to die absent from the body, present with the Lord, life on a scale I've never had before. I mean, how awesome would that be? But to live, I'm going to be able to plant more churches, to write more letters, to to spread the gospel better. I, I'm torn between the two. You know, and a, a Christian who has that kind of conviction about life, he or she, they find themselves in a win-win situation, right? The world can't defeat us if that's our attitude in life. I mean, think of some of those authorities Paul stood before. And they said, we're going to take your life. Great. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, as I've just said. They said, okay, with that kind of attitude, we'll let you live. Great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach the gospel more. I mean, folks, you can't, you can't do anything with somebody like that. You can't defeat them. Paul says, I'm hard-pressed. And the image here in the Greek is pretty powerful. Have you ever been on a mountain trail or maybe the trail even went underground for a bit and the passageway narrowed and it was almost claustrophobic and you, the walls closed in? You ever been in a situation like that? Paul's looked that way. It's like both sides are closing in to, to live, to die, closing in on me. Man, I would, I would choose either one. His conclusion is, God's put it on my heart that for now, I'll live. 
to help your progress in the faith he talks about there in the following verses and down through verse 25. The word progress for your progress in the faith was used of, of these group of men when the Romans or Greeks would go out on a military expedition, they would be going into territory that wasn't traveled. There, there would be a group that would go before them and cut down trees and kind of scatter, get everything out of the way so that the armies could go. This, this group that would make the progress of the army possible. Paul says, I'm convinced I'm going to live and my life's going to be like that, that band of men that would go ahead of the military and, and make the way possible. I'm going to live and help you progress to be able to move forward in your faith. Think of how powerful that is. I'm, again, I'm not, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna live for my personal pleasures or benefits in life. Nothing wrong with that if your goals are godly goals. But Paul's saying, I'm gonna live and be a blessing to God's people. In other words, the equation that Paul used was life equals Christ. Life equals Christ. For him, life Minus Christ would equal what? Nothing. What's the equation of your life? What's the conviction of your life? You might say, you know, Paul, Paul's words here seem great, but are these words unrealistic? Well, what did Jesus say about this? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all else will be provided Jesus said no one can come after me and follow me and be my disciple unless he denies himself dies to self essentially picks up his cross and follows me you know what it appears to me Paul's doing it appears to me Paul is simply living out the words of Jesus. What Jesus laid out for every single believer. You see, this is not something he lived out for, uh, laid out for believers who just kind of want something extra in life. No, this is the Christian life. Jesus said, die to yourself. Take up your cross, an instrument of death, and follow me. That's not some type of special breed of Christian. That's just Christianity. And when we look at Paul's life, we see him doing that perhaps better than most people that we read about. But again, it's not about Paul now, is it? It's about me. It's about you. Will we live our lives in such a way that we'll be able to say, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Can you say that in your heart? For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If you know that you can't really say that, 
then I think you know there's some business you need to be doing with God right now. Maybe there's some clutter that's moved in and messed up your focus. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody who has misunderstood the call to follow Christ. Maybe for you it's a nice add-on, but God says it's not an add-on, it's got to be everything. We need to ask God to help us magnify His Son, the Lord Jesus. Magnify Him in our speech, in our actions, magnify Him in our relationships, magnify Him in our decisions. Ask God to help your life in all things magnify Jesus. Lord, we do thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul because in his life we see a man living out, simply living out the call of Jesus upon every man. True, we have different gifts. We have different ways that call is going to be expressed. Not everybody's a missionary. Not everybody is an apostle. The apostles we read about in the New Testament were for that particular time. But nonetheless, we all have a call. We all have a way to live out the claims of Christ. Lord, help us to do so with the kind of conviction and example that Paul was. Help us to get out of our minds thinking so much about ourselves and this world and the things of this world and what's going to make us happy here. Lord, help us to gauge everything through the lens of Christ being magnified. And so even today, Lord, help us to deal with whatever it is in our hearts and minds that's diminishing that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please?